you live in sight of your need for a savior and when it comes to facing temptation instead of just you know reaching out and grabbing that thing that's before your eyes you start to resist it and he's getting all the glory then in your life hi everyone this is brooks popwell anyone who is struggling to enter into a life of purity can count on facing an onslaught of temptation And when that intense opposition comes, it can be overwhelming and discouraging. But just experiencing sexual temptation doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong, which leaves us with a critical question. Where's the line between temptation and actual sin? In this episode, Ed Book, the pastor of our residential program, provides the answer to that question. Also, our ministry's president, Steve Gallagher, offers a taste of what's in store at Pure Life's 2019 annual conference this April. And we'll hear from biblical counselors Jeff and Rose Cologne about how a couple dealing with the damage of sexual sin can choose to endure the trials and pursue God's blessing on their marriage. This is Purity for Life. Before we get into the show today, we have some very special news to share with you. We are excited to announce the release of our brand new DVD series, The Overcomer Series. This boxed set of 12 DVDs illuminates the pathway into a victorious Christian life. The series features 24 specially chosen messages, along with a wealth of bonus features, including documentaries, testimonies, interviews, and more. It's all designed to empower believers to move beyond a life of lukewarmness or spiritual defeat and experience the reality of a consistent and godly walk with the Lord. To learn more, view the video trailer, and purchase the Overcomers series, visit purelifeministries.org slash theovercomers. Now, let's get back to our first interview. All right, Pastor Ed, as we are asking this question today about the difference between temptation and sin, obviously we're making an assumption here that temptation isn't sin. But I know this was true of me. For people who are experiencing a lot of temptation and failure when it comes to sexual sin, it can be important to make that distinction between temptation and sin. So how do we know that that's a true statement? Temptation is not the same thing as sin. Well, Brooks, the the Bible is our source for answers to questions like this, and and it is a very good question, by the way. Uh, And I myself had to struggle through uh, this issue a little bit back in the early years of my own uh, struggle for purity. And I remember a very wise man saying something to me uh, that I've never forgotten. He pointed out to me that Jesus experienced temptation. And yet, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it also makes it very clear that Jesus never committed sin. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet was without sin. So obviously there's a very clear difference between temptation and sin. Then, And Jesus experienced what it is to be tempted, but he never crossed the line into sin. Okay, so given this distinction between the two, I can think of 
a couple different struggles people could be having. First of all, they could be tempted, but then thinking that they're in sin. I know that is oftentimes how I feel, or I'm just not sure. But then on the other hand, somebody else could be playing around with temptation and thinking that's all that's going on, but they're really slipping into sin. Which of those do you think is more common? Well, uh, I suspect the latter is more common, although I don't want to uh, overlook the fact that there there probably are quite a large number of people who are dealing with that false condemnation that comes from uh, just assuming sort of if I've experienced the temptation, if I've had the thought, the desire has been tweaked in me by something uh, that I'm in sin. There are people dealing with a very real uh, sense of condemnation that they need to reject, really. But I do think it's certainly true uh, in the people that Pure Life Ministries generally uh, is connecting with and dealing with in counseling. Uh, the vast majority of them are people who have been dallying uh, with uh, some temptation, you know, kind of playing with it in their mind uh, or their heart and have actually slipped into sin uh, and probably don't even realize they've crossed the line at the time they do. Okay, well, let's actually go there and talk about that line and where the difference is between these two phenomenon. If someone's looking for that point where you cross from temptation into sin, how do you define that biblically? The line between temptation and sin really is uh, way back before there's any outward visible steps taken into sin. What the Bible uh, directs us to is the heart, and it's really an issue of the heart. Once a person has set their heart on some forbidden object, uh, and it's become the object of their desire, they've already crossed a line into sin at that point. If we look at what James says right in the first chapter, he has uh, several verses uh, where he's talking about falling into sin, uh, being tempted and, and falling into sin. And he says there in verse 15, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so we see there that there's there's a process. He likens it to the birth process. And so there's a conception stage. That always happens in the heart well before there's any outward evidence of sin. And then there is going to be, out of that conception, though, the birth of sin. It will take, you know, an intervention from God to prevent the birth of sin at that point. Once we've conceived it in our hearts, it may have a very long gestation period, but there will come that day when, when there is an outward evidence of the thing we conceived in our heart. I would think anybody who takes this seriously obviously wouldn't want to wait until that period was over and now there's outward signs because then it's, you know, it's progressed quite a long ways. It almost makes me think using your analogy that I might want to ask you, is there a test, like a pregnancy test here where we could be like notified early in this process? Because all this is internal, right? So how can someone know when that desire has taken the wrong place in their hearts for whatever the object of the lust is, I guess in this case, sexual lust, 
what are some indicators, even if it's not progressed to the outward stage, that that's what's happened in their heart? Well, really, Brooks, that's the function of the human conscience uh, to convict us. So from the Lord's side, we have the Holy Spirit convicting us of our uh, sin. But internally, we each have our own conscience so that even someone who, you know, doesn't really know the Lord or walk with the Lord will initially experience a, a prick in their conscience uh, when they're involved in sinful activities internally in their heart. Uh, but the problem is we tend to easily override our conscience, and we don't pay it any attention. And over a longer period of time, we actually sever our uh, conscience. Uh, Pastor Steve, in his writings, uh, writes about a seared conscience, where it's just been uh, sort of— uh, you know, melted uh, and burned so effectively that it no longer functions the way it should so we can sin and not know it at that point. All right. Well, we've approached all of this kind of from a theoretical standpoint, but I know as a pastor, you've got to have that practical side. And so I know you won't mind me asking you, can you help us flesh this out in real life? And what does this look like when it is going on inside someone and starting to come out in their life. Sure, Brooks. Let's take uh, a look at a couple of examples right from the pages of Scripture. Uh, an easy one to spot this in is really the life of King David and the whole episode with uh, the adultery he committed with Bathsheba. If you go to that passage in Scripture in Second Samuel, it talks. It opens with the note that uh, it was the time of year when kings go out to war, but David had chosen to stay back in the palace at that time. And so there's a little hint there that something's uh, askew right in the very beginning. David's heart isn't set on the proper things. He's not doing what he should have been doing at that time in his life. So we, we get a little hint of that. And so, you know, he's kind of ripe for some temptation. And the enemy sees those seasons in our life when we're ripe because we've uh, drifted away from our God-given responsibilities, perhaps, things like that. Uh, and so David ends up, you know, uh, having a, a little difficulty sleeping one night. He decides he's going to take a, a walk on the roof. You know, all of that may have been very innocent in his intentions up to that point. But uh, when he begins to look across the way and and sees this woman bathing uh, on the roof, uh, you know, nearby and realizes that she's a very beautiful woman and so forth, uh, he's beginning to cross lines in his heart there, and he's totally unprepared to resist that temptation at that point. So, and David was probably completely oblivious to the point in time when he actually crossed that line from temptation into sin. He, he probably never even realized he had done it, and that's true for most people uh, quite often. But Jesus, uh, when we read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it very clear that the line is always crossed first in our hearts. And he said right there in Matthew 5.28, for example, that if a man looks at a woman uh, to lust for her, he has already committed adultery in his heart. You see, the, the sin is already taking place at the heart level there. And Jesus made that clear throughout his teaching, I think, if we read it all carefully. Okay, I'm following with you on the example of David's life. Can you give us another illustration? Another 
person we could consider in Scripture to, to see the contrast here would be Joseph from the Old Testament. Joseph found himself in a much more difficult situation than King David encountered. Uh, He was a household servant in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife literally pursued this young man every day. You you know, her plea, to her, her brazen appeal to just asking him to lie with her, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. You know, every day, day after day, he endured this, and he had set up some rules for himself that he wouldn't be uh, alone with her and so forth. And But, of course, as we know, things transpired that she, uh, you know, manages to catch him one day, uh, and his response is so telling. He says to her, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do such a thing against my God? You see, right there we can realize that Joseph's heart was set on God. And because of that, he was able to resist even this very powerful and potent temptation that would have captured most men. Well, I have a feeling a lot of times when we ask this whole question about where's the line, uh, the implication is so I can get as close as possible to it. I know that's not your point in discussing this. And so I feel compelled to ask you, if someone really owns this truth, that the line of sin is actually in the heart, not just the behavior, what will that do for them in helping them actually to fight against getting near temptation? And how can that actually, you know, be a benefit to them going forward? Well, I think there are really at least two things uh, that will happen if we recognize this distinction that we're talking about today between sin and temptation. Uh, One is that uh, I know this was true for me, and I think it's true for many. You begin to realize that you're sinning a lot more than than you thought you were. You, You recognize in my heart things are very off, very awry. Uh, and I'm in sin much more often than I imagined, which is actually a good thing. You might think that that leads to condemnation, and there is a handful of people that perhaps will drift that way with it, but what it should do is lead you to repentance, and that's the biblical answer for sin, is always repentance. And so instead of a you know, single incident of repentance back at an altar when I was a young boy or man, uh, I now live a daily walk of repentance where I can, you know, I just know my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. The Lord has made that crystal clear to me, but I don't despair over it. I acknowledge it before the Lord and give it over to him and let him help me with that and and let the blood of Jesus cover all of those sins instead of me trying to sew uh, some fig leaves together and have this version of self-righteousness that I'm walking around with that does me no good and doesn't even settle my conscience before the Lord, let alone really reconcile me into a right and healthy and intimate relationship with God. And I've lived in that self-righteousness, and it is miserable. So coming out of that through genuine repentance is the fruit in my life, and I think in many lives, of those who are willing to recognize that their sin is worse than they thought and more frequent than they imagined. 
Back to that important step of realizing that sin does in fact begin in the heart, and like you said, beginning to see just how much of that heart-level sin is happening. Can you finish things off for us here by describing a little more what will happen for a person once they get to that point in their spiritual life? I think the result of all of that is that you live in sight of your need for a Savior, and that is what makes Jesus very present and very real and very immediate, very uh yeah, very present in your daily life. He's a part of it. He's the central figure in your daily life when you're living in that kind of uh, awareness of your need and and repentance. And it, when it comes to facing temptation, you actually begin to feel a little more like Joseph than David instead of just, you know, reaching out and grabbing that thing that's <laughs> before your eyes, you start to resist it and say, God, I don't want to do this. How could I do this against you? You've been so good and so faithful and have covered so much of my past transgressions. I will not do this against you. And he's getting all the glory then in your life. And you're actually bringing much, much glory to God in that situation. Someone who's a committed Christian is going to face a lot more than just battles with temptation. And although we live in a society that believes in the modern idea of the American dream, those who seek to follow Jesus find out quickly that the true Christian life really isn't problem-free. Pastor Steve Gallagher, Pure Life Ministries founder, shares how this year's annual conference coming up in April will be an inspiring call to persevere through many dangers, toils, and snares. We are so excited to tell people about our 2019 annual conference coming up very soon this year on April 26th and 27th. And Pastor Steve, that'll be here before we know it. So I wanted to talk to you a bit about the conference and the theme this year, which is Through Many Dangers, Toils, and Snares. I know you've referenced John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, as being connected to this conference theme. So can you explain a little more what the theme means and how that relates to the book? Yeah, I wonder when John Newton wrote that uh, phrase in Amazing Grace, you know, through many dangers, toils, and snares, if he hadn't been affected by uh, Pilgrim's Progress. It just kind of has that same feel to it. But life is definitely a journey, and you know, in this journey, we are going to face different sorts of things, but especially in the last days, especially in the days of such intense warfare that we are in today, how much more real are those dangers, toils, and snares that we will be facing. But God is there for us, and God will take us through victoriously. So it's not like I'm despairing over it. I'm excited, really, in a sense, because I know what the Lord can do. Well, as the president of our ministry, I mean, you know better than anybody just how much work it is to get these conferences together each year. I mean, from all the preparation that everybody does who's involved with it directly to all of us as a staff praying together for this event. But I know you really feel it is worth all of that effort. For people who haven't come before, I think some might wonder who this is exactly geared toward. Is it just for someone who's been involved in sexual sin? 
Well, it is especially good for families who are dealing with sexual sin issues for a couple of different reasons. One is a lot of people want to know, you know, what are they going to get in their interactions with Pure Life Ministries? Maybe they're checking us out to see if they can really get the help they're looking for. So that's one thing. But also, you talk about getting a breakthrough with your spiritual life. Man, the conference is the place for that to happen. We have seen powerful, powerful um, transformations happen at the conference down through the years. So I know what God can do when someone is in the right place spiritually and ready for it. The Lord will come through and meet them there. But really, the truth is, Brooks, that any believer— is only going to be blessed at that conference. I know that sounds like, you know, you expect me to say that, but I'm telling you, sitting in the presence of God for a day and a half, two days, uh, man, it is. you just never know what is going to happen for people. Whether they're in sexual sin or not, God is there, and being in his presence is life-changing. You mentioned John Bunyan and John Newton, who wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace, where this theme comes from, through many dangers, toils, and snares. As I think about those men, I think about what a different world we live in today. And looking at our modern life, why is this theme of a victorious life that endures testing and trials Why is that a message we need to hear as Christians today? Well, we do live in a different world. In some ways, our lives are so much easier than they were back then. But on the other side, our temptations are much greater. I mean, those men didn't have to deal with television or pornography or the Internet or, you know, this fast-paced, stress-filled lifestyle that we all live. They didn't have to deal with any of that. But then again, they didn't have a lot of the uh, comforts and and safety things that we have. So, you know, it is a different realm, but the same basic uh, temptations and trials and problems that believers face in this world are there, but, you know, just amped up um, in our day and age. Well, I know you've looked at the state of the church and where we're at for a long time, and you've written about that and about the last days. For instance, again, looking at these men, I mean, John Bunyan was jailed for his faith, and that's another thing we really haven't faced. But I look at the news, you know, I I look at what's going on, and I kind of wonder if things might be coming around again to that, and we might be facing harder times in the future. What, What are your thoughts on that? Well, if you follow the trajectory of our political system in Europe and in the United States, it's not hard to see that we are moving increasingly into godless socialism. And, okay, we've had a reprieve with President Trump. Uh, It's temporary. And I don't know if he'll be reelected, but at some point he leaves office, then what? You know, and everything's in God's hands. The timing is in God's hands. Um, So I don't know when things are going to get more difficult for us, but it's just, to me, obvious where we're headed as a nation. 
So I know for myself that every opportunity that I can lay hold of to be in the presence of God, to allow him to do uh, one of those special works in my heart, I want to get that and get all of it while I can because we have no guarantees for the future. And these are the kinds of events you don't want to miss while you still have the opportunity. Thinking again to our conference coming up in April, I mean, people are unfortunately so busy and trying to choose between all the things that are pulling at their time. So considering how busy everyone's schedule is, why do you feel it is worth taking the time to come to this conference? We are spiritual beings, Brooks. And when I look over my past 30, 40 years with the Lord, I can pinpoint different milestone experiences with God that made me the man that I am today. It wasn't just I obeyed God. It wasn't just reading the Bible. It was those certain epical times when I met with God, and those are the things that were life-changing and made me who I am today. And, you know, that's why the conference. That's why we pray and fast and seek God for months before the conference as a staff. And that's why people come, because they are going to be sitting in God's presence, and they're going to receive something that they would not receive if they were staying at home. Well, again, we're talking about the 2019 Pure Life Ministries Annual Conference. It takes place in Florence, Kentucky on April 26th and 27th. And I do just want to reiterate that this is a conference that's open to anyone who is hungry for more of the Lord. We have plenty of people who do come back after graduating one of our programs, but then we find that every year there are more and more first-time visitors who are just hungry to experience the Lord in a deeper way in their lives. So please, come and join us on April 26th and 27th. You will receive a very warm welcome from us. We've had a good response so far in registration, so we would love to add you to that list. You can go to our event website, conference.purelifeministries.org, and there you're going to find all the information you need about the upcoming annual conference, including a video trailer, all the registration details, lodging information, schedule, and more. We really hope to see you all there. Well, we're talking in this episode about enduring temptation and trials, and Christian couples that are dealing with sexual sin's effects definitely do face their own difficult challenges. Biblical counselors Jeff and Rose Cologne know what that's like, and they have their own testimony of restoration. Jeff is the pastor of Lighthouse on the Rock Church in Dry Ridge, Kentucky, and he and Rose are the founders of Lighthouse Biblical Counseling Center. The Colognes explain to us how couples who keep going forward in faith can receive great blessings from God as he works in their hearts individually and ultimately in their marriage. Jeff and Rose Cologne, we want to think now about how to choose the way of blessing in a marriage. And Jeff, first of all, I'll start by asking you, what kinds of blessings do you have in mind that a couple should want for their marriage? 
a lot of times, especially in our culture here in America and a lot of what we hear in the church, we equate blessings with money and a large house and everything going my way and nobody getting sick and all that. But that's not what I'm talking about and really what God meant when he talked about blessings. Blessings in God's realm is more of a spiritual blessing where God prospers us spiritually because God is eternally minded and he's always looking towards our eternal benefits. Not that he doesn't want it and doesn't even promise to take care of us earthly, but that shouldn't be our focus because we're all going to come into hard times. We're all going to come into difficulties and God wants to even bless us spiritually in those times. So when we're talking about God's blessings, we're more talking about God spiritually prospering us no matter what's going on in our lives. You know, Rose, as he describes that, oftentimes men who are coming out of sexual sin have worked so hard to try and bless their family, bless their wives with those very things, maybe a nice house, financial support, a good job, whatever. But in your experience, is that really what most wives are looking for? No, what they want is a husband that just loves Jesus and that's willing to do his will. I mean, I've seen that with most of the wives I counsel. That's all they want from their husband, just fall in love with Jesus and follow him. Well, Jeff, how do you begin in a marriage to choose the way of God's blessing? If I could just mention our own testimony and what God did in our lives. For many years, I was bringing a curse upon my marriage and both of our lives. And, you know, when my sexual sin had devastated the marriage and all that, we were in desperate need of God's blessing. And God showed us the way to blessing, but it wasn't what most people might think it was. It was actually coming face to face with the cross and realizing that if I was going to experience spiritual blessing, I had to go down the pathway that Jesus told us all we needed to go down. And it's called the narrow way. And we really, both of us, had to learn what it meant to start embracing the cross and everything that meant in our lives so we could experience the resurrection life. Jesus made a way of blessing for us, but it began with his suffering. And our blessing begins with suffering and embracing what Jesus went through. And anybody that wants to experience real blessing, spiritual growth, and blessings in our life are going to have to understand what it means to embrace the cross in the midst of the hard times and our sufferings, just as Jesus did. All right. And Rose, what does that kind of lifestyle, embracing the cross, what does that mean for a wife as she seeks God's blessing on the marriage? For a wife, I'd like to use an example of someone I know personally that has really been going through a very hard time with her husband. And she has chosen to pray for him, to fast for him, to hold faith and believe God to give her husband a breakthrough. And what I've seen over the years while she's waiting on the Lord to break through in her husband's heart, what I've seen is spiritual fruit in her life. I've seen spiritual maturity, spiritual growth in her life. And it's been a blessing to sit back to see that she's chosen the hard way, the narrow way. I mean, she could have bailed out of her marriage a long time ago, but she's still standing in her marriage, and she's still believing God and standing in the gap. And God's blessing her spiritually. I'd like to add to that. It really is a wonderful picture of the blessing I described earlier. That woman had a choice. She could either go the easy route 
which would be to just get out of her marriage and seek to relief in another way, or embrace that cross and pray for her husband. And what we have seen is the blessings of intimacy with God. The anger and bitterness she once had has been replaced with joy. So what I see are spiritual fruits that have been developed in her life through it, which to me are the greatest blessings God wants. That's what I'm talking about when I say spiritual blessings, spiritual prosperity. She has prospered spiritually because she chose the hard way, the narrow way. She chose to embrace the cross. And it really is a beautiful picture of how God turns our curses into blessing when we choose the way of the cross. You know, what you've both described in this makes me think of two types of couples and how they'd face exactly the same set of circumstances, where in one household you might have a couple that's full of despair and hopelessness, of backbiting and whatever else is going on, and then you could see another couple going through the exact same thing, and because their attitude is one of faith in God, they're saying, yeah, we're going through all of this, and it's not pleasant, but God has something for us in all of this. And it just makes me think, what a difference that attitude and that spirit is going to make in that home and how it's going to be different. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The whole atmosphere is different. Even I look at our marriage, it's worth what we went through. Just the, the blessings we've been able to receive, but not just for ourselves, but the hope we've been able to give out to others, yeah. the same comfort we've been given, we've been able to give us. To me, there's no greater blessing than that. And I would never, ever regret embracing the trials and the suffering we had to go through to get that. To learn more about Jeff and Rose's counseling ministry, Lighthouse Biblical Counseling Center, or their church, Lighthouse on the Rock, visit lighthousebcc.org. I'm thinking back to the book Pastor Steve talked about in the middle of the show today, John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. We see in that book a clear biblical picture of what godly men like Bunyan viewed as the authentic Christian life. And it's a picture of a time of great trials that prepares us for heaven. It can be any of the kinds of trials we discussed today, from personal temptations, the challenges of honoring God in a marriage, or just the overall battle to develop a spiritual life with God. But no matter what it involves, the prize of our calling is truly worth any fight we have to face. Well, that's all for today's podcast. Thank you for listening today, and we will see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.